Hello, spreaders, and welcome to season five of the Spread Podcast. My name is Kaz. On this episode, we'll be joined by the brilliant Dr. Claire Kinuthia, a.k.a. They Call Me Daktari. Dr. Claire is a specialist obstetrician gynecologist with several years' experience in women's and reproductive healthcare service provision in Kenya. She's passionate about projects focused on facilitating access to quality healthcare, improved quality of life, and access to basic human rights for all. On this episode, we will be talking about vagina, pussy, panani, front hole openings, or ukewamvua, aka wet vagina in Kiswahili. We will be debunking myths around products, basic etiquette when it comes to taking care of your vagina when you're sexually active, as well as vagina healthcare amongst transmasculine people and those on testosterone. Get your notebooks or open your note apps as this episode will not be just fun, but highly informative for both those with ukes and those without, as we all know just how much our education system fails us when it comes to reproductive health. Please don't forget to subscribe to The Spread Podcast on your Apple Podcasts. This usually keeps us at the top of the charts so that you can see us. We'll be more visually enticing to your For You page. And be sure to follow us on Instagram. We are at The Spread Pod, as well as all of our social media accounts, actually. And enjoy the episode. First of all, I want you to start by telling us a little bit about who you are, Dr. Kinudia. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. My name is Claire Kinuthia, Dr. Claire Kinuthia. I'm an obstetrician, consultant obstetrician and gynecologist. I was told to say properly. Oh, <laughs> what's the difference? Um, training levels. If you're still in your residency, if you're still an undergrad, after residency, you've worked as a senior re- resident or a registrar. And then once you get your specialist recognition, then you're a consultant. Mm-hmm. In American terms, I'm an attending versus a resident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the difference. So mm-hmm. now I'm senior. I should be addressing myself accordingly. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let the people know. Yeah. So for those who don't know what an obstetrician and gynecologist is, obstetrics is the medicine around pregnancy. So looking after women through, looking after pregnant people through pregnancy. <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to give you props for, for <laughs> using know, the right? correct language. I, I love it. I'm here for it. I'm learning and I'm doing my best. So That's all we can ask <laughs> for. <laughs> so through pregnancy, childbirth and recovery. And then once baby's born, we hand over to pediatrician, but then we keep looking after mom through the postpartum period. And then a gynecologist is looking after... This is a tricky one. Vaginas. Vaginas that are not pregnant. (laughs) For people who are not pregnant. Yes. So just um, generally reproductive and sexual health. Okay. And what made you go into this line of work? Like, what is it that was exciting for you about looking at vaginas all day? (laughs) 
Tell us, Dr. Kinubia. <laughs> That's the misconception about my job, though. <laughs> I'm talking to people all day. Uh-huh. Sometimes I have to look at the vagina just to see what's up and why, what you've come in with as a complaint. But generally, it's exciting medicine. It's happy medicine. So tends to be that people come to us specifically during happier times in their lives which for me, I'm a feel-good type person, so I'm, I want happiness. I want that excitement of new life and the journey. Sometimes it's hard to conceive and have a baby, so even just walking through that journey with couples, trying to get them out of the funk as we try and get them pregnant. So mm-hmm. all of that has always just been exciting to me. Okay, yeah. I like that. I wonder if that's a like a blanket situation for people who are in that kind of work, people who wanted to be doctors but just mm. don't want to be surrounded by death. Yeah, yeah, because it, it is happy medicine. It's mostly happy. I mean, we do have horrible emergencies, but that's part of the training. That's what you're taught how to deal with. By the time you're the level of an attending or a consultant, you can handle any emergency to do with reproductive health or sexual health. There are sad and traumatic things we have to deal with as well, so sexual assault cases, issues to do with like domestic violence and dealing with that kind of trauma. Mm. But it's it's not the normal, it's not your everyday practice. For me, it works really well with my personality and I'm very, very, very driven. In this part of the world, just generally speaking, women have always been second class yeah. citizens. So being able to provide services that are inclusive, that are holistic, that make you feel like a person so that you stop feeling lesser than, um, changing the narrative around sexuality and sex in general, because yeah. there's that taboo that you shouldn't think about pleasure if you're female. I'm going to use that specifically because that's how the general uh, population will look at it. Yes, as. that's so okay. It, yeah, if you're female, medicine is not supposed to be your focus. Even when training, when I was training as an obstetrician gynae, the challenge was we kept being told every woman wants to be seen by the male gynae. We don't want females. It's changed Hmm. now. Actually, you know, it's funny (laughs) that you say that because I do remember this when I was growing Mm. up. Because even that was a thing that my mom used to say with like my aunties and them, that they prefer male doctors. And the reasoning around it was actually dumber. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was like, another woman will look at your vagina and then she'll feel jealous. And then she she won't treat you properly or whatever. (laughs) It's like, come on now. Yeah, really. really. In fact, it's less awkward. It should be less intimidating. Now, more women, sometimes it's um, religious reasons, sometimes it's personal preference, are leaning towards female gynecologists just because... You know it's a safe space. You don't have to worry about any weird connotations around the visit. There's more understanding. It's more likely than not that I've gone through some of the issues that you're going through, mm. even on a personal level, not just I learned about it in a classroom. So that turnover has come with time. It wasn't when I was training it was difficult. In my class we were more women than men, but that was the unusual class. Mm. So everyone kept asking, Why are you all coming into Obsgain, why? Mm-hmm. This is a man's field. Women prefer men, so nobody will ever come to see you. You'll be very idle in your practice. But again, times change, and that's not true anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's such an interesting observation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually really glad to have you here because I constantly get a lot of questions that I'm always telling people: please just go see your doctor. 
just yeah, good. So, yeah. and you said this a little bit earlier. You said the blanket statement for all of your answers, guys, is go see your doctor. Go see your doctor. There's no shortcut. There's yes. really no shortcut. Yes. But I do understand that a lot of people have issues with finances and health insurance and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. But we'll get into your questions a little bit later because I did receive all of your questions on Instagram. And we'll get into that like towards the end of the podcast. So please stay tuned. In the meantime, we're going to be debunking a couple of things with Dr. Mm-hmm. Claire Knuthia. In this conversation, we might actually answer a lot of questions already. Mm. Um, For starters, does the vagina need any special kind of cleaning? When we're talking about vaginas and cleanliness, can we also talk about vaginal steaming, the vaginal washes, different kinds of douches, Mm. vajacials? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would go for a vajacial. It's like a... Listen to you. It it (laughs) sounds fun. Yeah, it does. Like you get steamed Mm -hmm. and pampered. Yeah, I'm I'm here for that. (laughs) But tell me, um, let's talk a little bit more about that cleanliness. Okay. So the first thing is defining the different parts of the vulva, basically. I mean, of the external genitalia. So when we're talking about cleaning the vagina. It's a misnomer in and of itself because the vagina is the canal that starts externally and going into the cervix and that would lead into your uterus. So that's an internal part of your body versus the vulva, which is the external part of your genitalia. So if you're cleaning anything, we're talking about cleaning the vulva. And that's the biggest misconception. So I've worked with a lot of women who will come in and say oh but I clean every day and I stick my finger in or I have a douche that I'm using and so I'm having weird discharge that I don't understand where it's coming from but that's the first problem you shouldn't be cleaning the vagina at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) so the vagina is one of those really amazing organs that cleans itself out so Every time you notice you have discharge, and that's just normal from your hormones because your normal day-to-day, you're producing estrogen and progesterone at different levels, and it keeps the vagina healthy and keeps the walls moist. And, of course, that changes with arousal versus day-to-day activities. Mm -hmm. But then what you need to clean is just what's coming out. So whatever discharge comes out and is on the vulva, that's the cleaning that you need to do. You don't need to stick anything in to clean the vagina. So all the products that we see where it involves, I've seen some called yoni pearls that you're inserting. Mm-hmm. There's douching, there's vaginal steaming mm-hmm. versus vagacials. We'll talk about the difference just now. But then all those tend to be dangerous because the way the vagina works is that it's a clean space, not a sterile space which means it cleans itself, but it has healthy bacteria and certain amounts of yeast cells, protozoals, different microorganisms that keeps it healthy. So if you're interfering with those microorganisms, then you put yourself at risk for different types of infections. And it's not just sexually transmitted infections, but those would also increase as risk for that. So mm-hmm. leave the vagina alone. Don't insert anything. You don't need to clean anything or steam anything or tighten anything. Leave it alone. And then just clean externally. And when it comes to cleaning externally, just clean water is all you need. As you shower, just clean water. If you're having infections or issues and you go in to see your doctor, you may be prescribed a specific wash, but for a specific period, not everyday use. So it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of products are created for women because we are big spenders. Mm -hmm. That's the reality. Pink tax. Yes. Mm. So because women like pretty things and somehow we seem to be convinced that there's something wrong with our normal, that Mm. you want to change your smell, you want to change how things look, you want to change how your vulva 
behaves. Mm. So you end up spending a lot of money on products that really don't change anything and sometimes increase your risks for various types of infections. So basically just clean water. During your period, maybe you could clean a bit thoroughly so that you're just not messy and again take care of orders and stuff like that but if you leave it alone your vagina will do what it needs to do um, the way you smell is very unique to you so that's something you also need to stop trying to mess with and then with different products there's a higher risk for infections with highly scented products flavored products also mm. are not supposed to be used in the vagina so again just avoiding all please of that. use your flavored condoms to give blowjobs yes therefore oral sex <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, I actually use a vaginal wash, Mm -hmm. which is organic, Mm -hmm. vegan, Mm -hmm. which which works perfectly for me. And I feel like I can't do without it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just for my vulva. And it's safe and it's clean and it's healthy. Um, I'm actually kind of like, and I want you guys to hold me accountable. I'm kind of in the process of (laughs) creating a natural and organic vag wash. Vulva wash. Vulva wash. Yeah. (laughs) So talk to me next year. 2021. We'll have a product of it. <laughs> Possibly. She will be consulting a doctor. Yes, directly. definitely. <laughs> I will be consulting Dr. Clerk in the FYI. Yeah. yeah, because we do have washes that are very good for maintaining pH. And especially for women who suffer from recurrent yeast infections, that's what the doctors will prescribe to you. Mm. And for some, because it's a persistent problem, if you have other health issues, um, you have higher risk for yeast infections during pregnancy. If you have immune issues, just generally speaking, or if you're diabetic, you'll have more recurrences with these infections. So we do prescribe washes specifically for those kinds of people. If you want to use a wash, as long as it's healthy and it's a safe product and mm. it's something that's approved by your doctor, that's fine. As long as you know that, again, it's for the vulva and not internal. Yeah. Okay, so you were saying we were going to talk about the difference between vaginal steaming yes. and vagatials. Yes, so because I had to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some things you don't learn in med school. Yeah, for sure. For sure, nobody said vagatial to yeah. me in med school. <laughs> And if they did, I'd have looked at them like, what the? (laughs) So vaginal steaming is basically you sit on some sort of device or contraption that directs steam into the vagina. And the premise there is that they use herbs or organic products that go internally and clean out the vagina. I don't even know what that means. Apparently it <laughs> cleans out because I've, I've heard people say, okay, I steam. <laughs> I'm a steamer, but I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Um, but appa- I've heard people saying that it helps if you have endometriosis. Apparently it helps clean the lining of your uterus of all of the, the excess blood that is left there during your period that dries up and that's what causes endometriosis, which is actually not. But um, that is just, in fact, no, we've gone yeah, into fiction land. Yeah. Yeah, like, we're Narnia. Yeah, I was just like, what? I didn't even know that explanation. You didn't? No, because you can't physically Get push something into, into your uterus. Your uterus, you can't. That's yeah. the whole point of your cervix. It's mm. the gateway, it's the mouth of the uterus, and it's usually sealed with a mucus plug. And that's what keeps you safe. Mm-hmm. Even when you have women with an STI, for example, the symptoms are local unless you don't treat the STI. Mm-hmm. And then it will ascend because it will disintegrate the cerv- cervical mucus and mm-hmm. then it can ascend into the uterus. And that's how you end up with infertility or subfertility issues from an untreated STI. Yeah. So generally speaking, the vagina is a vault that keeps you safe and keeps infections from going up into the the pelvis in general so steaming if at all any of it is going in because again anatomically 
the vagina it's is flat. Possible. It's not a room. Yeah. It's not a space. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't walls, stay open yeah, like the this. The walls are against each other. <laughs> so I don't know where this steam is going. Yeah. It might feel nice because yeah. then it's on the vulva, but then yeah. the fact that very little of it is actually going to go up into the vagina to begin with, unless you're like opening, holding yeah. open your vagina. But then, even then, you're changing the pH. So thinking about the organisms that are growing within the vagina to keep it healthy. If you think about bacteria and everything we do about, like think about food, let me use food as an example. If you leave food out in the kitchen and forget about it for a few days, it's going to start to grow something, mold, mm. some sort of uh, bacteria, salmonella, something will grow because it's in a warm, cool, dark space with moisture from the food. Mm-hmm. All you're doing with a vaginal steam is creating conducive environments for microorganisms to grow and not necessarily uh-huh. the good ones, right? Another thing you have to think about is as human beings, we are covered in bacteria. Your skin is covered in what we call normal flora that keeps you healthy. Yeah, It belongs externally. So when you start to push something physically into, so it comes against the vulva, picks up all the microorganisms and then trying to push it into your body, those guys are harmful when they're inside your body. Mm -hmm. That's why when you get a cut, we tell you clean it immediately with Mm -hmm. clean running water because whatever is on your skin shouldn't be in your body. Okay. So then you keep introducing these bugs that the vagina doesn't know how to deal with. And so you end up with infections, a mixed infection type picture where even your doctor is having trouble clearing it. So you keep getting recurrences of symptoms because when we look at it in the lab, it's got a little bit of bacteria. It's got some weird protozoa. It's got a bacteria that we don't even understand what it's doing in the vagina Mm. to begin with. It's supposed to be in a different part of the body. So that's the main issues when it comes to steaming. Another thing you have to remember is the anal region is just south of the border Mm -hmm. so e coli and other type of bacteria that are normal for the gut and rectum anal region and keep you healthy and help you with digestion of food and the normal processes within your gut are really dangerous if introduced into the vagina or into your urethra so and that's why we wipe backwards yeah front I, back. I hope you guys know the wiping <laughs> front to back but if you don't that's cool too yeah just wipe from front, front to, back. to back because if you're introducing anything from the anal region you will come in with very severe infections and that are much harder to treat because again the mucosa or the tissues within the vagina are not built to deal with that kind of bacteria mm. so mm. all of this you're pushing in that direction it's not going to be a surprise if you come in with worse and worse symptoms and basic treatments that we should be able to clear it with are not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then a vajayshal is different because that's focused on the vulva. Mm-hmm. And why it's done, from my understanding, it's usually during a session if you've gone in for waxing or hair removal and it helps to reduce irritation around the area. So mm-hmm. that is a bit healthier because it's directed from the top end and focused primarily on the pubes and mm-hmm. not really to to it doesn't even it shouldn't even be directed to the vulva. Mm-hmm. It's just on At the, the top of yeah, the moon's pubis and above. Yes. Just for ease with irritation when you're having hair removal sessions. So that's a little bit safer. It feels good if you're looking for something that you want to you know, pamper yourself a little bit once in a while. It's not necessary every single time. But then again, it's all about hygiene. It's all about your provider and how safe they are. 
if you're going in for waxing sessions where we're introducing heat and steam and your provider doesn't wash their hands, isn't using gloves, isn't cleaning their products properly, then they're throwing mm. germs at you. So again, higher risk for infection. So you do need to be really careful where you have these uh, services given to you. Uh, cheap is expensive in the long Always. run. Yeah, with everything. So just be careful where you're having it done. But that's a lot safer than vaginal steaming. Okay, so, and I was actually going to say the reason that I steam mm. is after I've waxed. Right. Yeah. And it just kind of like opens the pores yeah. Yeah. so that I don't get ingrown hairs or whatever. Yeah. So I feel like that works for me and I only do it like um, after I've... After I've, waxing. After but waxing. then that just means you're doing a vagatial session rather than a steam. self self yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess. Um Many people with vaginas have experienced um, UTIs, yeast infections, and BV, uh, bacterial vaginosis. Mm -hmm. These are very common with vagina owners. Mm -hmm. How do you suggest the best way to treat them is? So, um, again, with treatment, it's difficult to answer socially because treatments vary from one person to another and from uh, one organism to another. So depending on what you come in with, you could have a yeast infection and we're able to treat it with conventional treatments and it clears or you could be someone who's suffering from recurrence of your infection so the medication will change so when it comes to treatment like i said go in see your doctor have the appropriate tests done because they'll also tell us what the organism is sensitive to and then we are able to target treat whatever it is that you're having um, what i can talk about is how to prevent them or how to reduce um, chances of a recurrence so with the um, UTIs, the main challenge here with vagina owners is that everything is really close to everything. The urethra is right there next to the vagina, next to the anus and the rectum. And so you have to just think about hygiene. And it starts with wiping yourself front to back. That's a very basic way to clean yourself. Mm. And it helps to already prevent so many different infections. And then leaving the vagina alone don't insert anything don't unless it's necessary so like sanitary wear if you're using tampons or menstrual cups those kind of things but again your hygiene your hand hygiene around that should be really really good so that you're not introducing any pathogens in there when it comes to reducing your risk for UTIs the main thing is go pee as soon as you have the urge stop holding and mm. keeping pee in your bladder oh my god I feel like you're just here to talk to me <laughs> If it's bedtime and I'm pressed, I am not going, to, not the going to the bathroom. No, you need I will to. sleep pressed. What? I will pee when I wake up in the morning. Are you for real? Yeah, because I'm just like, if I get up out of bed and go pee, then the sleep is gone. It's I'm like, good. which? I can hold the pee. No, 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 no. As soon as you have a full bladder, you need to empty it because. When urine is produced from your kidneys, it's sterile. It's a very sterile liquid. You can drink pee from the, the kidneys as it comes into the bladder. Mm -hmm. The problem with the bladder is its proximity to the external part of your body and the urethra. Okay. So if there's bacteria lurking around your valvule area and it's able to go in, then it contaminates the urine. And that's a good culture for growth of different organisms. Mm -hmm. So UTIs tend to primarily be bacterial and that's how you end up with a UTI because you're holding urine for too long. It's a good culture, fluid. Whatever bug goes in there is going to grow and really cause a bad infection. Mm -hmm. And you end up with, so UTIs are different depending on the level. So at the bladder level, it's cystitis. So that's the most common UTI that we see. And it's just about not emptying your bladder in time. 
the other thing is of course not drinking enough water so then you're not filling your bladder and you're not emptying it regularly so it's just improving your habits that way you should be drinking at least two to three liters of water a day and as soon as you have the urge to pee go to pee immediately mm. other things is just simple things like if you're using a public bathroom put down some tissue so that there's no splashback okay so i have had an <laughs> argument with somebody <laughs> he says that because of the nature of how porous tissue is mm -hmm. it makes no sense to put it on the toilet because the bacteria just goes through the, the pores of the tissue right um so he's like if you're you might as well, like you're better off just wiping the toilet seat and sitting directly on the toilet seat right okay so this is his and i'm just like nope <laughs> no so first of all <laughs> if you're using a public bathroom i wouldn't even be sitting down like yeah have fun. yeah <laughs> because Things like um, STIs like herpes, you can get from a public bathroom. Mm -hmm. And that's a viral infection. And it doesn't matter how much you disinfect that toilet seat. Viruses are more fastidious. They're more aggressive and harder to kill than bacteria. Are. Yeah. So in the bathroom situation where it's a public loo, if you can have a practice, use your knees, yeah. thigh muscles. Yeah. And Think then, um, yeah. channel Megan the Stallion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all, hands on your knees all the twerking you're ass doing to that in the club, use that muscle <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but then what I was talking about is specifically putting tissue into the toilet bowl so that the water oh. in the loo doesn't splash on you as you pee oh I know people do that just um, so that people don't hear them poo no no do it for especially Which is really in silly. your own toilet that's yeah. fine you can do what you want you, yeah. you know how it's being cleaned you you're good with your own hygiene but in a public toilet that splashing of the water yeah. in the toilet bowl is going to give you an infection oh, so damn. put a little bit of tissue in so that when you start to pee there's no splash back on that is you. A hack. I freaking love it. Thank you. I appreciate that information. It goes a long way. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I just want to take you back to something that you said about drinking urine. Like, um... I didn't say do it. No, but you know there's people that do, right? Yes, I have heard. Yeah. I have Somebody heard. actually told me <laughs> they were like so serious. They had come for the spread life. And they were like, honestly, it's like so good for your body. No, it's not. No, it's not. Listen, <laughs> urine by its very purpose and definition is your body getting rid of waste mm. your body has processed everything it needed to from the fluids you've drunk and from the food you've had you don't need to recycle waste mm -hmm. so there's really no need like maybe deserted island and there's nothing else to drink yeah well, fine desperate yeah. times yeah. Desperate, yeah. desperate measures but not actually by but choice not by choice not by choice <laughs> It's not necessary. Drink you some fresh water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got it. Because yeah. I'm one of those people who's like, you sure? Yeah, no. Because mm -hmm. I, I could try it. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. <laughs> I do try these things so that I could tell people about yeah, them and tell them not to try that's them. That's why we're having this conversation. Just yes, don't do it. Just, just don't, don't do it. it. <laughs> don't do it. When, what do you think about people using um, like natural yogurt to cure yeast infections? Okay. So that's a very good question because it's a very common misconception. And I've had a few uh, near misses with people misunderstanding how yogurt works. So yogurt in general is a good product when it comes to keeping your gut and your vagina healthy. But it's not just yogurt in general. It's specific types of yogurt. It's not even natural yogurt per se. It's yogurts that are made where at the end of the process, they add live culture. 
So if you go to the supermarkets, if I'm not going to name brands, but you'll go through the different um, brands of yogurt that we have in Kenyan stores, you'll find that some of them are just your basic normal flavored yogurt mm. or has fruit or some nuts, added benefits, whatever. But if you read the ingredients, they don't add any live culture. By the process of making yogurt, pasteurization kills all bacteria in that yogurt. And that's what keeps it from going off immediately, mm. right? So the only yogurts that are beneficial for gut and vagina health is yogurt that has live culture added. And mm -hmm. this is done at the end of the production process because otherwise it would be a contamination thing, mm -hmm. right? So if you left the bacteria from the cow, mm. we'd be getting sick. <laughs> so what you're looking for, it's not necessarily a natural yogurt because natural yogurt doesn't have any live culture. They're looking for like a brand yogurt. Not oh, it's a it's a brand. It's a thing. brand thing. It's oh. very much a brand thing, and therefore a price thing. Mm -hmm. So if you go into the supermarket and read the packaging, so, probiotic see, is yes, okay. probiotic or life culture. So they will say it has life culture in it or it has probiotics added. Okay, that's the type of yogurt you're looking for. Number two, you're eating said yogurt. I've, like um, I said, I've had. Yeah, don't, I'm one of those people. I'm like the student. I'm I'm a student for all your mistakes. Yeah, I'm also know, a yogurt right? person. There's no lathering it and reapplying it and inserting it. No. Yeah, I used to put it inside my little no. douche thing and. Oh gosh. And, oh my god. Because then yogurt is sugar and protein. Actually, I was so using. It was the waste of time. Feeding the bug. That's right. Don't do it, guys. Don't, don't do I've it. I've done it, so you don't have to. Yeah, don't do it. You're ingesting it so you're eating it and then your gut will process and you get it out through stool and so it helps with the gut health and it'll go the extra products go through the kidneys into the bladder and give you protection that way in through your system so the probiotics are being introduced into your body orally mm -hmm. to then be safe and help keep everything functioning normally through the whole system so it's not direct application it's not just any brand of yogurt and it's, it has nothing to do with flavor so whatever you prefer as long as it's the right brand of yogurt mm -hmm. yeah oh my gosh man i'm learning a lot <laughs> um and can we talk a little bit about what antibiotic like what negative effects antibiotics mm. have okay. on vaginal health so they they the thing you hear about your antibiotics, about your medicated products, medicated soaps and stuff like that, is it kills 99.9% .9 of bacteria. Mm -hmm. That is true. <laughs> Unfortunately, that includes good bacteria as mm -hmm. well. So when you're on a course of antibiotics, the reason why you have a side effect like diarrhea is because you've killed off the normal gut flora in the process of trying to cure whatever infection you're being treated for. And it's the same applies for the vagina because you have normal bacteria that's supposed to be there, but an antibiotic kills it off. So after a course of antibiotics, there are lots of women who are very sensitive to antibiotics in that, people in general actually, because gut health will affect everyone. But then for vagina specifically, it kills off the normal flora and that's lactobacilli, which is a very good um, bacteria because it maintains normal pH in the vagina, which is acidic. Mm -hmm. So those bacteria create that acidic environment. If you kill them off, then all these other guys who hang around, so I usually refer to lactobacilli as your watchman. 
Mm-hmm. So the watchman at the gate is making sure those thugs don't come in. Mm-hmm. So if you kill the wachi or you tie him up and push him in the <laughs> gatehouse, these ninjas come in and take over mm-hmm. and grow and give you a yeast infection, being most commonly being a yeast infection. Okay. So because you have normal yeast cells within the vagina, but the lactobacilli keep them at bay by creating an acidic environment. Mm-hmm. So when you take a course of antibiotics, these are killed off as well. And then the yeast cells, which are fungal, they're not killed off by antibiotics so they grow so it's like mold growing on your food for example mm. so then you have this flourishing of fungal cells and you come in with abnormal discharge irritation itchiness the usual symptoms after a course of antibiotics so as gynecologists generally speaking if we have to put you on an antibiotic we will also give you an antifungal some people we have to go ahead and after the review so you come back in for a review and then we'll put you on a probiotic because if you're more sensitive, replace the normal bacteria after we've dealt with whatever the infection was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, this is class. <laughs> I'm so, I love it. I love it. Welcome to our podcast of the week in partnership with Africa PodFest. Be sure to catch their details in the show notes below. Our podcast of the week is Pause for Menopause, which is actually a Kenyan podcast. Menopause has far-reaching emotional, psychological, and physiological, and sociological consequences for every woman at a certain age group and those close to her. In response, Pause for Menopause is here to inform, empower, and encourage women of all ages and men, not just to prepare for, understand, and survive menopause, but to thrive through it. Please be sure to catch the link to this podcast in the show notes below. So I know that you pride yourself in being an LGBTQ plus ally mm-hmm. and also just like a doctor who is open to treating uh, members of the LGBTQ plus community. Yes, yes, I do. Yes. So all the LGBTQ people in Nairobi, <laughs> please reach okay. out. I'm yep. going to put all of Dr. Kinuthia's details in the description box below. So have you ever treated trans people? I have looked after trans people through childbirth. I wouldn't call it treating them because I didn't look after them antenatally. So they'd had a different doctor and then came in for a delivery. I think it's because of bad experiences. A lot of people from the community tend to shy away from coming in to see doctors and are not sure how they'll be treated, especially when it comes to uh, sexual and reproductive health issues. And some have actually had bad experiences. Here in Nairobi, I haven't had the pleasure of looking after them, mm-hmm. but I have always been known to be open. So it's a safe space. There's not going to be any judgment. We try to be very, myself and my staff, we've trained them so that we try to be very uh, careful with pronouns as well. We're careful with how we address you. You're not going to feel judged because of the person you love or the way you identify. So it's a bit confusing for trans people as to who they should go to see. Now, for trans men, a gynecologist would work really well because you do have to look after vaginal health, cervical health, uterine health, especially if you haven't had these organs removed or had bottom surgery, then it's an organ that you need to have screened. So it's still something I would strongly encourage. 
uh, you can talk to your provider and just explain to them what you're comfortable and not comfortable with. If you go to the right places, they should be as accommodating as is required because that's how we are trained. We're supposed to be non-judgmental, even though the the majority are, are not. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah, that's that's, that's the, the challenge. That's exactly what the problem is. It's now something that everybody's sort of talking about. We're having a bit more training in different facilities, so. Just come in and ask the questions. Come in and have a conversation. If somebody's not comfortable, because again, you also can't force something on a provider. If they're just not comfortable offering services in a certain way, then it is their duty to refer you accordingly. Ask the question, is there somebody that you know who I can see for my reproductive health, who knows how to handle people like me or Mm. has some sort of experience with people like me? And I feel like the more you come in for the services, the more likely people's mindsets are to be changed. Because the main thing that I've seen from my experience is the reaction is because you've never seen it before. So it's not that they're treating you differently from some anyone else. It's just they don't know how to treat you. They don't mm. know how to be around you. So be open-minded in having that conversation to begin with. The way you approach them shouldn't necessarily be hostile, which is asking a lot because you're so used to being treated in such a negative way. Yeah. But sometimes it takes a step from your side as well just to open them up and you're able to assess, is this somebody I can work with or is this somebody who is completely close-minded? But from others, you'll find that you're you've opened a side of their mind where they go, okay, I realize I don't know how to handle this situation, but I'm willing to learn and Mm -hmm. I'm willing to listen to what's brought you in and where I know I can't handle it, I'm going to refer you accordingly. Um, With gynecologists, it's tricky even for straight people. It's tricky even for cis people because Mm -hmm. everybody tends to have their own personal bias. So if you came in, for example, for abortion services or sexual health services that they don't agree with or mm. don't doesn't work for them the training is as a provider you don't have to do anything that goes against your own personal beliefs or your own religious beliefs but you should never push the agenda onto somebody else mm-hmm. so our training is to refer accordingly so my challenge to healthcare providers is learn who to send them to mm-hmm. build your network so that you know this is a doctor who's able to handle people in the community and they'll feel that they're safe and I can refer them to that person. Mm -hmm. The thing with the medicine is we deal with gaps. If we see a gap, we try to fill it by learning, by educating ourselves, by going for training, by facilitating sessions with people from the community. So if you come in and we start to see that there's a gap, we start to see that, okay, we don't know how to handle this kind of a person. What can we do to improve our services? you will start to change the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What are some of the ways that you would encourage the vaginal health of individuals on testosterone? Okay. Yeah, to prevent um, vaginal dryness especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, vaginal health, like I said, is primarily a factor to do with hormonal changes, the hormonal changes that happen just normally in your day-to-day. So... If you're a person with a vagina, a cervix, a uterus, you ha- primarily will have influence from estrogen and progesterone. Mm-hmm. And that's your natural setup. And that's what keeps the vagina healthy. So when you're transitioning and go on to testosterone, being the male hormone, it shuts down the functions of the ovaries and so reduces specifically estrogen, which then leads to vaginal dryness. Mm-hmm. So in as much as these are considered female hormones they do have a lot of function with overall health so 
breast health, brain health, physical, different physical parts of the body, as well as vaginal health. So suppressing the hormone will change different parts of the body Mm -hmm. in different ways. Mm -hmm. So some of the ways we're able to deal specifically with vaginal dryness is coming in and talking to your provider about local estrogen um, products that you can use in the vagina, Hmm. especially for those who are still having penetrative sex. Mm. Um, It's not necessarily true that you'll only have pain during sex. Some people on testosterone Mm -hmm. suffer from such severe dryness that it's painful or uncomfortable just for their normal day-to-day activities. You're walking and you're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You're sitting, you're consciously aware of internal discomfort. Mm -hmm. So local estrogen will not change what you're trying to do with testosterone, it will not change the effects because it's not going into the system. It's only applied locally. So you can speak to your provider about creams or tablets that you would use. It gives you just a small amount of estrogen that keeps the vagina healthy and helps with lubrication and moisture, which then keeps the mucosa from being easily infected and Mm -hmm. also from the pain and discomfort that you're having. Is that also something that you, as a provider, would recommend just to people who are not on testosterone but have vaginal dryness yes but again this is something that's under prescription because dosing is important how often you need to use it is important delivery system also is important some people um, the tablets will work better some people the creams would work better some people there's a vaginal ring that delivers small amounts of estrogen so it just depends on the individual and the important thing about going into your provider is we base your treatment off of your history your story what's going on in terms of general health as well as local health the way to look at it is it's medication we use typically for women going through menopause because that's the time more often than not that you will have excessive vaginal dryness because again estrogen is dropping significantly Mm. it also happens to women after childbirth because of the crazy change of hormones that happens after you've had a baby and as you're breastfeeding so if you're starting to have sex again you may have discomfort or pain just because of vaginal dryness associated with that period and so medications like those would come in handy so just go in and have a conversation with your provider Mm. it does help to go in to see a gynecologist specifically because that's what we're trained for um, as opposed to a GP. But if your facility only has a GP, they'd be able to refer you to a gynecologist appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about money? Mm -hmm. How are people able to get services that don't cost them an arm and a leg? Is there places that people can go to? Like, what would you recommend? So affordability is relative also because... The money conversation comes up a lot in that one person feels this is too expensive. Someone else goes, oh, okay, that's all. Okay. So it's very Mm. relative. So it depends on what you're able to afford. There are, especially with within Nairobi, I can speak specifically for Nairobi, there's such an array of facilities available that don't have to be dingy or weird or make you feel uncomfortable just because it's more affordable. There's Mari Stops. Mm -hmm. I know they have a reputation for only one kind of service, but they are, generally speaking, reproductive and sexual health providers, and Mm -hmm. they're much more affordable than your average place, and they're very inclusive and accepting as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Bliss is really good. There's a a bunch of their clinics around town, and they're very good for reproductive health services and also more affordable. Some hospitals also have 
uh, more affordable services in their outreach clinics as opposed to at the main hospital. So depending on the area where you live, just look into what facilities you have and go in and have a conversation. I, the biggest challenge is that you've decided in your house that healthcare is too expensive. Mm -hmm. You need to walk out and look around what's available around me. Let me go and ask ask how much does consultation cost here. Some places charge consultation, but it's inclusive of other services. Others, consultation is only just to see the doctor. So mm. it's by having those conversations because I'm not able to go to every single area so that I can then refer everybody from every part of Nairobi to yeah. what's available. But then it's just going in and asking the question. And a lot of them also now have ability to call in or online services so that you can find out in, in advance you don't have to actually physically go in yeah and you'd be able to get much more affordable services with covid we have lots of facilities that have switched to online care as well so we have teleconsults and telemedicine where you can call in you pay a consultation fee which is subsidized compared to in-person visits and you're able to have a full consultation with a doctor that ends with a prescription that you can go and buy from a pharmacy near you so Explore a little bit. There, there's lots more services available now. Uh-huh, then people know, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about <laughs> sex, baby. Um, for people that are sexually active, mm -hmm. oral sex and penetrative sex, safety etiquette, okay. I think. So, okay. like, um, people peeing after sex, mm -hmm. um, washing your hands before sex, um, brushing your teeth. I know brushing your teeth is, is a really interesting one. Yeah. And cleaning sex toys, mm -hmm. allergies around condoms or lubes. One of the most popular questions that I get is where to buy lube. Yes. So we go into those. Let's get into it. <laughs> no pun. <laughs> so basic etiquette is, let's start off with just standard personal hygiene. You need to be very good with your own personal hygiene before you introduce yourself to another person and their physical space so a penis owner is supposed to wash their dicks before they put put it in you not necessarily but at least you know the daily shower would be okay okay <laughs> we take that for granted not yeah. everybody thinks a daily shower is necessary so personal hygiene is the first step that's the most important step and then now we come to basic hygiene around each other if you're coming in from being out especially now with covid we've come we're coming through a pandemic where hand hygiene has been emphasized mm. to the point where i think i'm going to be overstating it if i keep repeating myself yeah. yeah so wash your hands when you come in before you even touch each other because yeah. you just don't know what you're bringing in um basic cleaning around the time of sex so usually after sex if you are a vagina owner it helps to pee just because the friction especially if we're talking penetrative Oral sex as well, to be fair, mm. because you're introducing somebody else's body bacteria, oral bacteria to the vulval area. And like I said, it's very easy with friction, with movement, with um, everything that you're doing during sex to push bacteria up into the urethra. And there you will end up with uh, UTIs. And if it goes into the vagina again, this is not normal bacteria for your vagina. It's going to cause issues. So peeing after sex helps to physically just push urine and clean out what's been pushed into the lower part of the urethra. Um, for penis owners, again, really you should be using protection unless you've been tested because STIs are a whole nother topic. Mm. But then if you aren't, then 
wiping down afterwards so clean water warm cloth whatever you have wipes whatever you can use so yeah. that you just clean off body fluids off each other that helps to minimize your infection risk but again still you should be using protection you should be getting tested when it comes to oral sex and the practice of if you haven't been tested we do have things like dental dams that you yeah. can use and and flavored condoms that you can use with a partner so that you keep yourself safe uh brushing teeth i feel like is asking a lot but at least go and rinse your mouth so brushing teeth <laughs> yeah from the research that i've done um, can sometimes cause little cuts abrasions, and abrasions yeah. in your mouth. Yeah. And sometimes that's not very healthy if you're giving unprotected oral sex. Yes. So it, it, it would be better to rinse your mouth. And if you have a good mouthwash, use that. Mm. So that then you're killing off whatever microorganisms without scratching the gums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be a bit better. Yeah. Mm. And then with sex toys, I actually also recommend people use condoms when using sex mm-hmm. toys. Wash them <laughs> between uses. Yes, between absolutely users. wash them between yeah. uses. Yeah. Uh, and if you're sharing toys with a partner, definitely um, don't double dip. Yeah. If you're not going to go to the bathroom to wash the toy, use a condom. Yeah. That's uh, really important if it's a condom toy. Do we have um, those little finger condoms here? Do we have them in, in Kenya? Um, I don't know. Ah, we yes, do, but I we know. do. <laughs> Niggle hack. National Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission. Okay, okay. They have. They have, they have little things. And, and I think a few, like Galk, a few yeah. of the queer organizations do have like dental dams and little finger, mm. finger condoms. Because then they also have love gloves, so whole glove type. Oh, is, yeah. it, is it the one that's like studded mm, or yeah. ribbed? So you'd have ribbed or studded or just the normal ones, but then it keeps you safe. What would you say about using food in the bedroom? Ooh, okay. Um, when it comes to food, generally speaking with sex, whatever you're comfortable with, it's just how you're handling hygiene around it. So vegetables work because you will clean them they have a peel around them and so that you're cleaning it and you're able to use because again you shouldn't really just be using the vegetable from the market or the supermarket Off and straight into your yeah let, let's not holes. do that yeah, let's, yeah. Not, okay, let's yeah. not do that yeah. it's trickier with things like whipped cream ice cream sauce those kind of things yeah. especially for vagina owners you have to be so careful because this is sugar like i said it's got its fats proteins you're feeding the bugs you're literally just creating a culture so it should never be internal that's the f- most important thing yeah and if you are going to put it around the valvule area or on a penis and then after that there's penetration you have to clean it off you okay. have to have to have to clean it off before so it works because then you're integrating it into your oral play yeah but then the minute you have penetration the minute you're done and you're going to sleep don't leave it on you don't don't do that Mm -hmm. clean off wipe off clean yourself properly so that you don't have a situation where you've left bacteria that's freshly introduced it's not your own it's come from your partner and then you've given it a food source Mm -hmm. and then in two days three days time you're in my office going i don't know what's happened Mm -hmm. i didn't even have penetrative sex that's where it's come from Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. Interesting. And also just like, yeah, okay, what she said, everything that she said. (laughs) Okay, so I know that we said that we were going to um, answer people's questions, but like we are running out of time. And so Dr. Claire Kinuthia, can I please have you on my podcast again? Absolutely. I love being here and I will be back. Let's do something around periods. Okay. Um, There's... There's a lot of menstrual products that are out in the market now. Mm. 
There's menstrual cups. Mm -hmm. There's tampons and pads. Mm -hmm. There's menstrual, like a disc, like these flex discs, which yeah. I actually tried. There's a lot of scented products, mm -hmm. scented pads and mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, let's talk about what risk that has to your vagina. A lot of these products that we get, that, that we, we use during our using. period, yeah. Um, the primary thing I'll keep repeating myself is hygiene. So during the time of your period, the first thing that I talk about is where do you keep your menstrual products? So mm. in that handbag or in your bag, in your daily, day-to-day -day life, how do you keep your menstrual products? If you're using tampons or pads, are they just lying around with your keys, next to your coins, next to your wallet. They just mix with everything. Because then what you don't seem to remember is you've washed your hands. We've talked about hand hygiene. You go mm -hmm. to the bathroom, it's time to change. Handle that sanitary product with its cover. Take the cover off, transfer those germs mm. onto the pad or the tampon or the cup, and then use that on your body. That's where you're getting infections from. Mm -hmm. So just to start off with, have a separate bag or pouch or purse that you have your products in that's sealed, that comes with hand sanitizer or, or wipes that you can clean your hands if you're changing in a place that doesn't have running water. Mm -hmm. And that way it's not mixing with your day-to-day -day things. It's not with your keys and your coins and everything that you're touching as you go about your day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing is how you handle your products. Even at home, where do you keep them? Are they mixed with everything else that you mm -hmm. have in your wardrobe are they are you picking tampons out of the makeup bag mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean those are the things you need and, to and wiping them because they've, yeah, they've got foundation or glitter and putting that on your hands and yeah. then using that to insert that's where all these infections are coming from so being careful with how you handle and how you store your products is the first step and then hand hygiene before and after you change very important so you're cleaning your hands thoroughly in places where you can't antibacterial wipes or sanitizer would also go a long way then just like we've said with food or products that are more scented or flavored you need to avoid that especially <laughs> around mm -hmm. the vulva and vagina area mm -hmm. so they will give you problems you will come in with a rash that you can't explain the history i get is okay so every time i have my period i seem to have a rash and it's very uncomfortable and it's there for a few days and then after my period after a, few, a week or so it disappears and then it comes back again during mm -hmm. my period and then i go so what are you using mm -hmm. during your period that you're not using any other time and that's the culprit mm -hmm. so if it's highly scented if it has some sort of flavoring on it it shouldn't be in contact with your body different People are different, that you will be more sensitive to different products individually. So you do need to keep an open mind and try different things and see what works better. But the more natural the products, the better. You're less likely to have a reaction. It's important to do your research because not everything that is labeled natural or organic really is. Mm -hmm. So do your research around the company and the ethics and everything that they practice or stand up for mm -hmm. so so that you know this product is more likely to be problematic if you use a product and it is problematic write it off and try something different there is now something for everyone when it comes to now anything we're inserting or reusing so like menstrual cups and the discs hygiene hygiene is so important you need to know how to clean it how to take it out to prevent accidents and spillage yeah. and then how to clean it properly again cleaning it cleaning your hands reinserting all of that is something that you learn and you sort of become better at it the more you've done it 
and again it's not something for everyone you don't need to feel pressure i don't know where this pressure comes from that because a product is hype or it's the in thing i need to be using it but when i use it and it doesn't work for me i'm like okay what what next yeah so if it doesn't work for you don't force it find something that does and then use that the rest of the time yeah for people who use tampons just to prevent discomfort and infections my strong advice is look at your flow so tampons are made for flow not size of vagina so people mm-hmm. have that misconception that i use super because my vagina is wider and so no it's about flow so if you have very heavy flow a super tampon is what you should be using if you have very light flow we have all the way through to mini um a key hack is to change the size of your tampon on the days where your flow is lighter So if you start off with a very heavy flow and you use super by the end of your period you probably have spotting or very light flow you can use mini or switch to a panty liner those products keep absorbing moisture mm. so if there isn't menstrual blood to absorb it'll take moisture from the vaginal walls which causes pain and discomfort and then can also increase risk for tears and infections yeah yeah um i've found that i'll only use um tampons if i'm going somewhere mm and I won't be able to change a pad yeah. conveniently. I've found that it it sometimes hurts to insert a mm-hmm, tampon, mm-hmm. so sometimes I kind of lubricate my my vagina mm-hmm. before I put in a tampon because just even just the process of the putting process, in the yeah. the tampon is just like so uncomfortable yeah. and then it doesn't enter nicely. Uh-huh. God, I hate tampons. <laughs> I really hate tampons. it's a whole technique. I actually it's hate whole... things inside my vagina <laughs> anytime except during sex. <laughs> like why yeah. it's a I'd technique use it's, it's, it's a skill that you learn so another thing we take for granted is i'm supposed to automatically know how to insert a tampon or breastfeed my child or yeah. these are skills this is, it's unfair to be thrown into the, the wind and told you you're not a good person or a good mother because yeah. you don't know how to do this it's a skill and if you don't know how to do it go into your provider and have them help you or instruct you on how to do it yeah and, th- and it there's a, a lot of content online like on youtube yeah, exactly. how to yeah. that's a that's a good place yeah. when i started my period mm-hmm. <laughs> my mom mm-hmm. told me that i should use a tampon right so i first of all from growing up and knowing that those things were sweets because my mom used to call them sweets Sweet. i remember once trying to put that thing in my mouth and being like she'd say they are adult sweets and I, just like oh, gosh the trauma that we go through <laughs> because parents to, don't want to communicate, to, to communicate these things. Clearly, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so when I started my period my mom gave me a tampon mm-hmm. and I had no idea first of all that I had a vagina. Right. I just thought yeah. that yep. I had a vulva yeah. and like the urethra yeah. and I thought that yeah. maybe that's where the blood came from. Yeah. <laughs> and so I put the tamp I lay my tampon in between my oh, wow. <laughs> vagina lips <laughs> like a pad like i thought that's what it was supposed to be. <laughs> and then so my mom is like on the other side of the door going is it in i'm like yeah then she's like if it's incorrectly then you shouldn't be able to feel it and i was like, like how do you not feel it it's, it's right here yeah. <laughs> exactly. oh wow so yeah it took me sex actually because mm. i had sex at a young age uh it took me sex to figure out to that figure i had a vagina yeah. that i had a <laughs> vagina <laughs> and those are the gaps that we need to start dealing with yeah. when it comes to learning about our sexual health sexuality sex education it needs to start early 
let it be age appropriate but yeah. it needs to start early these are normal parts of our body if you don't know what your body is or what parts and how they work mm. then how are you going to actually function as a whole human being yeah that's just the basics this has nothing to do with religion that's the biggest hindrance the biggest excuse i've heard yeah. is oh no you're teaching children to bad manners and to be yeah. evil or they'll want to have sex earlier if you talk about it no mm. because you're going from a woman who doesn't even know where her vagina is mm. to get married and have sex yeah. and somehow overnight she's supposed to know what to do with this husband mm. like really yeah <laughs> really it's oh, yeah. very unfair it, re- it really so, is and now even more so because we need to think about being more and more inclusive i think it's one of those gaps that needs to be addressed and the church needs to stop jumping in and saying this is anti religion it's yeah. not this is health this is a physical part of your body that yeah. you cannot deny exists just because it's not holy or you know you have some sort of feelings around it yeah the more i feel like the more we empower kids to understand their bodies the more likely they are to make informed decisions from very early on mm-hmm. and so you'll not have situations where you have a teenage pregnancy because she didn't know what he was doing or didn't understand that it would lead to it. She needs to be able to understand this mm-hmm. part of my body works like this and I don't want you to touch it and I'm going to say no because I understand exactly what you're trying to do. Mhm. Again, age appropriate. I'm not asking you to sit down and give a 5-year-old the entire sex mm. talk. No, but just talk to them about healthy parts of their bodies. It's normal name them for what they are yeah these can silly, we call vaginas yeah. vaginas people these silly nicknames go a long way in causing more damage than actually being yeah. beneficial call them what they are if you are a, as a parent is not comfortable with having this conversation that's why your healthcare providers exist mm-hmm. bring them in we as gynae start to see kids the transition tends to be around age 11 12 from pediatrician to gynecologist so bring them in and we'll have those conversations we'll talk to you about what vaccines they need to have for their sexual health mm-hmm. um how how to take care of themselves how to clean themselves so hygiene we can help with that conversation mm-hmm. we'll talk about what sex is what consent is how important mm-hmm. it is understanding what they want to do and what's comfortable for them we can even have the sexuality and gender conversation because again it's it's a difficult conversation to have as a parent sometimes because yeah. you have your own strong beliefs or your own um religious beliefs around the topic so yeah. bring in somebody neutral that's not an auntie or, or a, you know someone who go and gossip with the whole village yeah. bring in somebody neutral who is professional and can help with these conversations either together or separately you can have it we can have it with your child with mm-hmm. your permission with your consent separately mm-hmm. so that you're not caught up in feeling some type of way about it yeah cool i think we're going to wrap up here we're going to stop here <laughs> but i definitely want to do a part 2 and you actually asked you're like so are we going to do I was like this is a lot it really this is. is a lot your questions are like a lot are you sure we're going to fit all this in <laughs> so we definitely have to do a part 2 okay. definitely i mean this has been so eye opening for me mm-hmm. i've learned so many things that i didn't know listening to you speak you explain everything so eloquently which is something that everybody needs to be able to have access to so i'm really glad you came thank you very much for having me very yes. excited so just quickly before you go maybe you can just tell us where to find you on the socials all right okay so on socials i'm very active on instagram tiktok and facebook and my handle is they call me dactari so if you're looking for me on social media i do a lot of 
education around reproductive health and sex education, sexual health topics. I'm currently doing a series called Five Minute Fridays on my IGTV and then TikTok and Reels as well. Try to answer the common questions and debunk myths on there so that it's easy to find, easy to understand and easy to share. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I've been up to. Yay! I love it. I'm here for your content. I love it. It's really, I'm just here for it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming, honey. This is so exciting. Yes! Okay. We'll see you next time. Okay. See you guys. Bye. I wanna hide I don't want nobody else seeing me naked But I'll risk it for you I want you to take it Cause I know I found something special So I just wanna lay down my body And just expose myself to you Thank you so much for tuning in. Please don't forget to share your thoughts with us on Instagram or on Twitter or on whatever social media app you prefer to use. And be sure to catch us next week. Okay, bye.